This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Hello Girls, a brand new podcast about the history of women's underwear, where we believe that underwear is the foundation of everything. I'm Emily Cronin. And I'm Kate Finnegan. Kate and I are friends and fashion journalists with decades of experience. We've written for newspapers and magazines, including The Times, Vogue, The Financial Times, Elle, and Grazia. We've sat in the front row, hung out backstage, interviewed everyone from Donatella Versace to Pharrell Williams, Samantha Cameron to Karl Lagerfeld. And we've seen Britney Spears in Nothing But a Thong. In this series, we rummage through the modern woman's underwear drawer, exploring what we're wearing, why we're wearing it, where it came from, and what our underwear, humble or fancy, sexy or sensible, says about who we are as women today. In Hello Girls, we're going to be talking to designers, fashion historians, stylists, performers, and the everyday multi-pack knicker-wearing public about the intense relationship we have with our underwear. Kate, when we started the series of conversations that led us to make this podcast, one item, more than any other, seemed to encapsulate so much of what we wanted to say. So we're starting with the item that inspired our title, the one and only push-up bra. And there was one particular push-up bra that came to define that cultural moment in the mid-90s more than any other. It had the perfect name, the Wonder Bra. Kate, what impact did the Wonder Bra have on your life? Mm, It freaked me out, I have to say. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Well, I went to university thinking I was going to be this, um, I mean, I I went clubbing and stuff uh, all the time, but I was also quite nerdy and definitely my image of what it was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I was going to be like as a woman was not dancing in my bar in a nightclub. And so when I saw other uh, women, girls from my um, my student group doing that, sewing silk flowers onto their wonder bras and then going out um, to the lead mill in Sheffield, then it kind of blew my mind. It made me question a lot about myself, I would say, and how I was going to present myself to the world. And although I never wore a wonder bra by itself out clubbing i did own a wonder bra and i um wore it. did you have any was it mainly the girls and women like surrounding you at university or did you have any people you looked at and you thought oh wow that is i want to be a bit like that eva Herzegova. i just thought she was so beautiful and that was of course the supermodel era so i had postcards of 
all the supermodels in my in my bedroom. What was the Wonder Bra that you ultimately bought like? I think I bought it from Debenhams and I bought it in kind of a shifty manner. Like I, you bought it in, I remember you bought it in a box and I think I rifled through and guessed probably what my, um, what my size was, brought it home and, um, I think it was just a white, no, it was a black one. Um, and, um, I wore it once. I found it quite uncomfortable. I think I wore it a few times. I did have push-up bras after that, but that one wasn't my favorite. It was lacy and a little bit itchy. Yeah, not the most comfortable bra out there ever. No, no, I I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm all for an underwire. I'm a big underwire bra wearer, but the push-up, I don't know. Maybe I'll try one again now, seeing as they're coming back into fashion. Every era has a dominant boob shape, right? The 1950s had pointed bullet bras and the 70s were more about a natural shape. The 80s gave us the sports bra, paving the way for a life in lycra. If you think back to the mid-90s all the way through the 2010s, one shape prevailed. High, round, and pushed up. That's all thanks to the push-up bra, which dominated the age of the Spice Girls, Friends, and Loaded magazine. Not only in underwear, also in culture. Its impact was so great that by the turn of the millennium, you couldn't go into a British newsagent's or supermarket without being bombarded by shelves full of famous women posing in their push-up bras on the cover of magazine after magazine. It was a time when what straight white men considered sexy was the frame through which everything else was viewed. And at the heart of it all was the push-up, proudly boosting the boobs of the nation and the world. The thing about the push-up is that it does exactly what it says on the tin— It uses underwire and padding to lift up your boobs prominently so that rather than the breast tissue doing whatever it does naturally, they defy gravity to rise up and out. To be honest, there would be nothing like it. It was overt, it was sexy, it was emancipated, and it was completely out there. And I think that's a fundamental reason why people just went, blimey, what's this? That's Susanna Hailstone-Walker. She was the account executive on the landmark 1994 billboard advert for Wonderbra that literally stopped traffic, won awards, and, perhaps more importantly at the time, achieved its goal of making the Wonderbra the most desirable bra on the market, the one that everyone wanted. We'll hear more from Susanna shortly. But the Wonderbra didn't exactly come out of nowhere. By 1994, it was actually 30 years old. My name's Lorraine Smith, and I'm an independent academic researcher, and I specialise in fashion history, specifically 20th century textiles, and very, very, very fascinated with underwear. And I have got a little project on the history of the bra going at the moment. When I was doing research, I was quite surprised to find out that the bra that I know of as the Wonder Bra there is more to the Wonder Bra than that. The, the Wonder Bra was a, is a whole brand and was a brand since the 1940s. But as somebody who was born in the mid-70s and was a, a teenager right around the time that the Wonder Bra sort of surged back into popularity, I was of the impression that this was a new thing. I thought in 1994, this was a brand new bra that no one had ever seen before. And the Wonder Bra, I thought, was just this push-up plunge bra. Did not realize it was a whole brand. So I was quite surprised to find out when I was researching it that it was a Canadian company called Canadel that first were producing bras under the name Wonder Bra. 
They registered it as a trademark in the US in the 50s. And then it was in 1963 that they first introduced this push-up plunge bra that they called Dreamlift. So the Wonder Bra could have been our grandmother's bra too. The early Wonder Bra styles looked very different. They didn't have padding. So this particular one came in in 1963. But yeah, in 1963, it was kind of nothing new. Maybe the the low center front, so the plunging neckline was quite new. But the, the underwires and the padding to kind of push everything up and make it look like you had a bigger bust than you had. You've been able to get lots of bras in the 1950s that would do that. It wasn't hugely revolutionary other than you could wear a low-cut top and no one could actually see your bra showing through. And it was right after the 1950s where lots of very structured bras were popular. It was very fashionable to have quite a full bust. So anybody that didn't have a full bust was looking to padded bras to make them look like they had a little bit a little bit extra to sort of fill out their clothes and look a bit more curvaceous. And this bra kind of surprisingly came along in the early 60s when you were still seeing a lot more of those structured bras like you did in the 1950s that gave quite a sort of hard shape in a way. Whereas towards the end of the 60s, a lot of bras had a much softer shape about them. You sort of, you didn't quite see so much underwiring, padding and things like that. So for quite a long time, the Wonder Bra was a solution bra, a solution to the problem of having a small bust, which is not my, my way of phrasing it. It's, that's what the adverts for bras at the time, any, any padded bra in the, in the 50s and early 60s, they were solving the, the problem of having a small bust. The newest thing about the Wonder Bra was its price. Playtex's push-up bra cost twice as much as the average bra on the market at the time. Average price of a bra at the time was £6.84, whereas the Wonder Bra was retailing at fourteen ninety nine. So you had to make it seem really fashionable and really desirable. Otherwise, was anyone going to spend that extra, like spend double the amount they would normally spend on a bra? It was pretty audacious, wasn't it, when um, the bra was actually 30 years old? Yes. Suddenly remarketed exactly. as a super expensive it's item. It's amazing. So... How to persuade women that this bra, this wonder bra, was so desirable it was worth the extra cash. That's where Susanna Hailstone Walker and her team stepped in. They enlisted fashion photographer Ellen Von Onworth to shoot supermodel Eva Herzegova. The image they selected, a black and white pic of Herzegova smiling down toward her cleavage, they enhanced with the now iconic caption, Hello, boys. Oh, my... Everyone was talking about it. Like, have you seen those giant posters of that woman in the bra? And it says, hello, boys, next to it. It wasn't, it wasn't just the image. It was the text they chose to go with it as well. It was the simplicity of it and where they placed the adverts. Nobody really counted on how many column inches and how much airtime there was with people discussing the Wonder Bra advert. Hello, boys, captured the times perfectly. It reflected the mood of the culture coming towards the end of the millennia. In Britain, we didn't really have sexy, expensive rock and roll lingerie because I suppose in Britain, that we'd gone through like 
hardcore conservatism, you know. And that's really how the Ladette culture, I think, where it came from. It was like a reaction against this idea that, you know, a woman stays at home and the man goes out and he can go out drinking with his friends and you stay up there wait, you know, waiting for them. We were all like, well, sod that. We're coming out too. And we're coming to the, the pubs that we're not supposed to be in. And you know what? We can we can drink as much as you do and keep st- you know it was it was sort of that time that's sarah shotton today she's the creative director of one of the most recognized lingerie labels in the world argent provocateur it was founded in a sexy little shop in soho in 1994 the same year as the hello boys ad came out sarah was the office junior back then straight out of St. Martin's School of Art. And with its showgirl vibe, it provided another vision of lingerie, one that was even more expensive than the Wonder Bra. Before Agent Provocateur opened up, you either bought Marks and Spencer's underwear or there was Anne Summers. I think AP in 94, when it landed, it just landed in the middle of that Ladette culture and everyone was like, ooh, I'm up for this, you know. It had that rock and roll edge, you know, Oasis would go in. Like, it just, that cool Britannia just landed right at the right time and everyone wanted to be a part of it. And I think at that time, as a young girl, you know, in your early 20s, you needed to have your underwear from there. You know, it was important because it was about being an exhibitionist a little way. You know, you were going out partying. It was quite normal to flash your knickers. <laughs> you know, it'd be quite normal to be at a disco or something and be like, woo, you know, dancing on the tables. I mean, it was an amazing place to work at that time because, you know, there was there was no stopping us, really. We could get away with, with anything. Yeah, you know, Campaign-wise, yeah. we were getting away with, you know, we could, we, we had girls on the street in underwear. I mean, you know, it was... It was a time when it felt very free, able to say what I wanted to say, to express how I how I felt. So it felt empowering. It felt really empowering, especially being at AP as as a young woman. You know, we were we every day we were we were made to feel really great, and we did feel great. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's important to remember that only a decade before all this was going on, Madonna caused cultural shockwaves by dancing around in a bra in her videos. On her 1990 Blonde Ambition tour, 
she made the pointy Jean-Paul Gaultier corset her signature, cementing the idea for millions of young women that displaying your underwear and reveling in it was an emancipated feminist act. Meanwhile, in the UK, dance music had become a huge part of youth culture. For cool kids, sweaty nightclubs were the place to be. And for that, you didn't want to be wearing much at all. Even a T-shirt was too hot. So female clubbers who went to the Hacienda or Sheffield's Leadmill or Malibu Stacey in London started dancing in their bras. I also grew up in the North when that whole sort of music, dance, clubs were out. So I used to actually go out clubbing in my bra. Excellent. (laughs) You know, so I was... One of the girls in my tiny, like, mini crinny and, you know, wearing a bra clubbing in Leeds. So I used With to wear... no coat in winter. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. High heels. High heels, yeah. I'd have my um, Vivian Westwood gilly platform shoes on and, you know, because I'd be like, I need to look as tall as possible. And, uh, and a wonder bra that I'd normally sewn a bit of fluff onto or something. <laughs> You know. Wait, where did the fluff go? <laughs> yeah, like around here, you know, just as the cleavage goes in. It was all about fluffy bras and going out in your bras and clubbing. So I, you know, it was totally, nor- you know, I was wearing also like hot pants with bras. I was putting like beads, hanging off bras. I mean, I've always been sort of around bras, it seems. So I have got memories of wearing my window bra in the 90s, clubbing in it, going out. You know, and then and just like wearing it sort of every day. And I think also from the 80s, you know, you'd gone from the 80s where it was all about three part cups. You know, if you look at what women were wearing, the bras they were wearing before the 90s, Wonder Bra was like three part cups, very sensible. This was the culture that the Hello Boys campaign arrived into. It wasn't just for men, it captured the mood of so many young women at the time. I'm Susanna Hailstone Walker, and I'm a psychotherapist. But many, many years ago, I worked in advertising and I ran the Wonderbra campaign that you know as Hello Boys. We were working on the Wonderbra when it was under the label of Gossard. Playtex had put it out on license to Gossard many, many years ago. And it was sitting dusty on a shelf. We were Gossard's advertising agency. My job as an account director was basically to be the front person on the advertising campaign for Wonderbra, which basically meant I was pulling together the team, so the creatives, the strategy, the media, working with the clients, selling in the ads, selling in the the, the, the people we wanted to use, the models, the photographer. And when anything went wrong, it was my neck on the line. You have to realize that 30 years ago, the advertising industry was was very male-centered. There were very few, very few female creatives in the industry, very few. And I pulled together a female-only account team. So there was myself and my assistant and the planner. But the guys that ran the agency and the people that produced the creative work were all blokes. Because this was an intimate apparel client, it really needed to have women deciding on the messaging, on the, on, on the basic, what were we trying to say? Who were you we trying to say it to? What kind of tone of voice we wanted to use? Not necessarily what was the actual ad, but how did we want the ad to play out? How did we want women to respond to the advertising? 
So it's really important to have as many women as we could involved in it in terms of deciding what the strategy was. And then the idea was to then go and see the creatives and sit down with them and say, listen, you're talking to these kind of women, you're giving them this kind of message. This is what they like. This is what they don't like. This is what we want them to feel as a result of it. So it wasn't just kind of a load of blokes sitting around deciding uh, this is how we want to flog bras to girls. So I, I, I think there are a number of reasons why Hello Boys was so successful in its in its time. One of which was that something like this had never been done before. Women's bra advertising, underwear advertising had been hidden away for decades, it, it seemed, in um, women's magazines. And it was all very twee. It was all very sort of, oh, look, I've just glimpsed inside someone's boudoir. Or else it was very sort of, what's the word, clinical. So it's like cross your heart totally unsexualized, totally unattractive. It's that kind of gurgle and and this is what this does and it's very, very efficient. So part of the appeal, I think, was that this was fun. It was having fun. It was a woman having fun. And it was a very different tone of voice. And it was a very different message we were giving, which 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 really stood out. Another really important aspect of it was it was where the ads appeared. Because as I said before, they were tended to be in women's magazines or else on sort of, you know, very neutralized on, on a bit of telly with the 18 hour girdles and things like that. This was on a poster. This was out there. This is on the street. This was in the very much the public domain. So it never really been like that before. Sure, you'd had Lands Navy rum and various kind of sort of near naked lovelies and selling booze or fags or whatever like that. But this was this was the first time something like this had appeared on a poster, and it made it very public. And that was really important to us because we had a tiny, tiny, tiny budget, and we really needed to make as much noise as possible. And so we kind of thought if we put it out there somewhere very public, then we might get some dialogue going around it. It was a two-week poster campaign initially, which is unbelievable given that we're still talking about it today, 30 years later. Here's Lorraine Smith again. The ad agency that they went with took quite an unusual approach at the time, and they, they were going for appealing straight to consumers by magazines. There was an advertorial in British Vogue shot by David Bailey, which I've seen, and it's, it's very lovely. And you did you, you saw a little bit of underwear stuff in Vogue at the time, but not a huge amount. And because it was David Bailey imagery, it really stood out and it did make it look very high fashion and desirable. But the big thing that they did was to go with a poster campaign, billboards. And in the early 90s, that was not something that lingerie brands did at all. You could not drive down a big road and see a huge billboard of a woman in her underwear. That just wasn't the thing that happened. And apparently it cost £130,000, but it generated 386 features and a total of three hours of airtime. So this is obviously adding up lots of little snippets on news bulletins. And they estimated that to have been worth 13,664% more than the posters alone had cost. That's wild. So even when you factor in the cost of those magazine adverts that they also did, Wonder Bra got over 5,000% more press coverage than they paid for with that campaign. 
Ava's not addressing anyone in particular here. She, there's, it's not about a person. It's not about the guy walking down the street or anything like that. This is a beautiful girl standing there going, this is my body. I look amazing in this bra. I know I look fantastic. And that's the confidence that's coming out in this ad. It's not about, do you like me? Do you want to ask me out? Am I okay? None of that. This is, I look amazing and I know I look amazing. It was her body. It was about her body. It was about her cleavage and it was about how it made her feel. For years, Hello Boys was considered a high point in advertising, an icon of marketing. It was voted most iconic advert of all time and was still viewed as a classic, even a landmark a decade later. But almost 30 years on, we look at things a little differently. Just consider the events of recent years. Donald Trump happened. Me Too happened. Jeffrey Epstein happened. Aren't we all much more aware and more honest about the fact that women's bodies are policed? That women are punished for being women? And that we're still far from winning equality? Women are watching and challenging the patriarchy every day, and thank goodness for it. So how does an advert that shows a thin white woman offering her boobs up for the boys look to us now? It's so disgusting. It's so disgusting. <laughs> and it's it's almost embarrassing to think that at some point a woman looked at that and was like, oh gosh, yeah, I need to get that same bra. That's Chelsea Matada, a Gen Z creative strategist who we'll spend more time with in upcoming episodes. It did work. Obviously, it did work. I don't know if it would work today. I don't think it would work today. But at the time, bearing in mind that we'd come out of, um, you know, we were sort of, you know, women's lib and Raid versus Roe and all of that thing was, you know, hasn't been around for that long. We're talking in the early 90s. And we had some serious emancipation going on, some serious excitement going on, women kind of going out and doing their thing. We were seeing it on telly. We were seeing it in film. So it was very much of its age. Yeah. Prior to the whole Me Too movement, there was a number of times I needed to defend the campaign or, 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 or explain what we were trying to do, which, which I was very relaxed about. And it was, I think it was a really healthy debate. And being a woman, I completely understood why we were talking about it. I think the most terrifying moment, possibly of my own whole career, was when I was doing a talk down at a university in the south of England. And I'd, I was asked to come in and talk about advertising and the campaign. And I sort of went in really naively, I think, thinking I was just going to be talking about careers and it's lovely and great fun and all the rest of it. And, and I was met with a, <laughs> a very steely, angry, very aggressive group of students who really felt very, very strongly about it. So I was kind of, I, I kind of had to sort of stand up and defend myself, really, which was very different. And, and, and so that's why, you know, 30 years later, that's still very much etched on my memory. I was put, I was put through my paces. So what were, what were some of the criticisms? That it was exploitative. Why did she need to be in her underwear? Why did she need to be her sexualized self? Talking about her sexuality, putting a young girl in very few clothes out onto the street, literally. You know, having a, they were having a very strong reaction to that. So what was your response? I think I probably fell back, and this is slightly shameful. I think I fell back on the old, 
the old line is, if you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. I just try to explain a bit about our thinking and to reassure that it wasn't just a group of London ad people sitting in there, you know, in the Groucho Club coming up with these ideas. We did go out, we did talk to women, we did, you know, we really did our homework on it and we felt reasonably comfortable. And I said, at the time, we knew we were going, it was risky. We knew it was risky. Uh, I mean, that was the whole point. I mean, you can't play safe and then hope to get a lot of publicity or, or get people talking about it. We knew that we needed to do something and that we were doing something, which is sailing quite close to the wind at the time. For Sarah Shotton, though, the great underwear reveal of the 1990s was a feminist moment that had to happen. I feel like the Ladakh culture came from a backlash of restriction for women for many years. And I suppose we had to do what we had to do to be heard, really, and go, no, actually, we can do what we want. You know, we can do jobs that men do and we can go out and drink like you drink and we can be free and we can choose to have children when we want to have children and we can have a job and be a mum as well at the same time but I have sexy underwear and have sexy underwear I think now it's much more you know the women that I've worked with recently are you know they have their profession but yes they wear underwear and they go and buy it for themselves because it's their choice and it's for them and it's because they want you know it's, it's sort of different I suppose look Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. How about you, Emily? What, so you're a lot younger than me. Did the Wonder Bra impact on you at all, the advert and the actual bra? I mean, I'm not a lot younger, but I, I definitely, I was 10 when the ad came out. I wasn't aware of it until later. I think by the time I was really noticing boobs, the push-up bra had achieved total bra domination. Like, there was only one correct way for boobs to look, and that was, you know, high, round, pushed out, on a platter. And I definitely had, like, more of an old-school first bra experience like with my mom in a department store but by the time I was buying bras for myself there were so many sort of wonder bra ripoffs on the market or or wonder bra tribute styles on the market right like I remember um, I did get a very ill-advised purchase when I was a teenager I remember buying um, a style that Victoria's Secret offered called the water bra uh, uh-huh. And it was like a waterbed in a bra or like a water what balloon. What a good idea. Like water balloons that sort of pushed up your boobs. And and just to like really underline the point, you didn't wear this under a regular T-shirt. That would have been a waste. No. You, you wore it show. under um, a shelf bra cami. So like a like a vest top that had spaghetti straps and a shelf bra built into it just to like push everything up even more. They were some big boobs you were wearing back then. I sure was. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I was looking at, you know, the Spice Girls and Selena and 
I mean, Liz Hurley at the Oscars. Like Every pop star, every actress on the front of every magazine. Madonna, like like the Cool Britannia cover of Vanity Fair. Like, yes. The push-up bras were constant. And I think that that carried on for really a surprisingly long time. It wasn't just the 90s. It was well into the noughties and the age of Victoria's Secret and bandage dresses, like all the way into the 2010s, really. Definitely. Like probably right up until... The Me Too reckoning that led us all to question the male gaze and the patriarchy. Yeah, uh, I think we were ready perhaps to change our underwear to something a little bit more comfortable. But Me Too definitely caused us to question a lot in terms of how we are presenting ourselves as women, I think. And then, of course, we moved into the pandemic where... Dun, dun, dun. I say the P word. Where bras... Never mind push-up bras, all bras, maybe even all underwear seem to uh, be under threat. I mean, a lot of people stopped wearing bras during the pandemic, which we will talk about in a future episode. But then here we are in 2023, and uh, after years of it being a bit underground, the push-up bra is pushing up again. I've heard that Marks and Spencer, Zorge and Provocateur, loads of retailers are reporting that uh, push-up bras are on the increase. So, Emily, do you think we're entering a new age of the push-up bra? I mean, it would be interesting. Listeners, you tell us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Links to Kate's and my Instagram feeds are in the show notes. Follow us. Send us a voice note over DM with any push-up bra thoughts or anything else you'd like to say about your life in underwear, for that matter. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Next week, we continue our adventures in underwear with the great divider, Thongs. Hello Girls was written and presented by Emily Cronin and Kate Finnegan. The producer was Kasia Tomashevich, with music and audio production by me, Jay Bailey. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, with artwork by James Parrott. Hello Girls is a Podmasters production.